summer. It's been our summer series, and uh, we've gone through all different types of psalms as we've started through this uh, series, and um, most of them, I think all of them actually, have taken us through the psalms of David. So these are psalms that either David has written or that have been written about him, and really what we've seen um, up to this point is that the psalms have been kind of like a diary into David's life, haven't they? Um, It's kind of the place where he just kind of sings his heart out to God, and he does it in a way where he just lets it all go, and he puts everything on the table, and he doesn't try to be so polite. And for me, I feel like that's so refreshing, because as we've seen up to this point, it's almost as if life seems to sort of hunt David down. It just kind of gets after him, and he's constantly faced with things of which his response is always to go back to God and go back to God's goodness and his strength and his mercy and his grace in his life. And as we get into Psalm 46 today, maybe it feels like that for you today. Maybe there's something in your life right now that feels like, man, I just feel like there's things that keep coming against me and they're starting to feel relentless. Maybe you've received some information in your life that has just changed everything for you. Maybe it was a voice message that you received that changed your life. Maybe you received a letter that just changed everything. There was content in there of which now life will never be the same. Maybe it was a conversation that happened this week or this month where nothing now, nothing as you've known it, will never be the same. It's what we call change. Our expectations have been disrupted. And it feels like we're immersed and we come and we enter into this sea of unsettledness is what it feels like to us. And you know, personally, man, I have just not done well with, with change over the years. I've just not done well with it until God decided to, about a decade ago, throw a monkey wrench into that whole thing of which I was then sort of catapulted into a whirlwind of change that has never stopped for me in 10 years. So for a guy that was really uncomfortable with change, God said, you know, I I think what I'm going to do is start you on a 10-year road where I'm just going to unsettle and uproot and dig up everything in your life that you knew it to be so that I can change your heart and I can change your eyes and I can change your mind in the process. We have our daughter staying with us right now for a couple of days and there's something unusual about our house or maybe it's not unusual, I don't know, but when you're upstairs and you open or close a door, all the doors go like this. So there's some, like, Airstream thing going on there. And, you know, if I was an engineer, I'd be able to lay it all out. But you're probably glad I'm not because that wouldn't be really enjoyable. But um, there's something that happens when she shuts the door and all the doors go, like that. And, um, gosh, man, every time that happens, and last night, uh, I think it happened at, like, 1 in the morning. And it just, you know, it just, like, kind of jerks you up because you're thinking, man, there's an intruder. And, well, technically there is. Like, my daughter hasn't been home for a while, but all she did was shut the door upstairs and all the doors rattled and it just jerks me up and I feel like something's off, something's not right, something's changed. And I think what can surprise us 
as we think of this is that although God doesn't change, He allows changes to come barreling into our lives, doesn't He? He allows that to happen. He does it to unsettle us, to allow us to see that we don't have control and that we can't keep ignoring Him under the illusion of that control. Because that is the unsettling moment in our lives that you face and I face when we realize that we just don't have that control. And then even more unsettling is when we realize, by God's grace, that we never had that level of control. And some of you have experienced that. You've experienced just massive shifts and changes. And it's caused you to do some things. It's caused some of you to walk away from God. It's caused some of you to respond dramatically with your faith. It's caused some of you to walk away from the church and from community. There's been a level of changes and disruptions in your life that have caused you to doubt that God is there. Or if He's there, that He actually cares about any of this without realizing that God causes changes to occur for just the opposite. He uses change to allow us to better see his changelessness. To have the opportunity to see his, what we call his immutability. The fact that God can't change when everything around us is shifting. And we, what we don't often comprehend is that it's God's grace when he actually takes us to a place and makes us uncomfortable. And that one of his great blessings is when he strips our comfort away and reveals our inner finiteness, that we are just people. And he does that so that we see that all other ground we attempt to stand on is like sinking sand, like that song we sing, Christ the solid rock on which I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's just not there to keep us secure. It's not something we can count on. And what he does is he shows us just how much reverence and awe that we've been giving to our fears. Because what can happen with our fear is that it becomes kind of a calling card for us. It becomes an identity. It almost becomes like a trophy. It almost becomes like something that we carry around with us and use it as a way to live or to not live. And we see a pattern of God through the Psalms of allowing David's fears in particular to actually come to fruition so that David will learn to not not fear, but to fear God. Because you know what? Some of us idolize our fears. We make them king. We bow down to them. We let them command us. We let them control us. Until we're reminded that nothing unfolds in this world that doesn't have a part in God's script toward the redemptive work that he completed with Christ and that he is finalizing and will finalize in the future. All right? So any freak out by the church that says, you know what, Ronnie, life, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. That's just an opinion that scripture absolutely does not hold for us. On the contrary, the Bible describes Christ as a fortress provided by God to be our confidence, 
our comfort and our courage in the midst of troubling changes that you will undoubtedly have. When the balances are tipped and the fear of the future, it grips us and it sends us into tailspins, we have a person to be stopped by and to be stilled in and to be secure in. Let's go to the passage, Psalm 46, and I'll read. It says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's God's word. Just on a side, this was the psalm that inspired Martin Luther to write, A mighty fortress is our God. We kind of did sort of a, a version of it this morning. It was said of Luther that whenever he heard any discouraging news, he would say, let's just sing Psalm 46. So this is something for us to understand as an encouragement for us when we are in the midst and in the sea of change in our lives. And what I love about this is that we see a couple of things, right, as we dive into the text. We see that God is near, and that we see He is near though the nations rage, and we see that He is near though nature rages. So when we come right into verse 1, what we're given by David is a summary statement for the entire song, almost like when we start a song sometimes with the chorus instead of a verse. And it's this central theme. It says it right here in verse 1. God is our refuge, our strength, and our present help in trouble. And the word used here for refuge is like, it's, it's like a cliff, right? Or a, a lofty place is what they mean by the word refuge. Reminding us of something that can't be accessed or reached. Like a safe haven. So that when enemies are in pursuit, they can't touch him. And David needed protection. I mean, this was a dude that was commanding an army. But yet he realized that nothing but God was truly safe. And we experience that, don't we? We have jobs, we have friends, we have marriages. We have family members, we have churches, we have things that we thought 
we're foolproof, and then we find that oftentimes they fail. And we need something that we can climb up to and say, God, I feel like I'm drowning under these things. I don't feel safe. I don't feel protected. And David here is saying, no, there is a protection. Move up a couple chapters to Psalm 61. Listen to what David says here. Psalm 61, verse 1, he says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. And then he says this, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. For you have been my refuge and a strong tower against the enemy. So David is saying there is something higher and stronger and can be a force and can be a a, a leveling rock of an influence in our lives. And he's saying that person is God. Before I say anything else, we have to state what it is we're talking about here is that it's God that is our refuge and our strength and a present help. You know, when you watch the... uh, The Mission Impossible movies, which, of course, they just released a new one with our boy Tom Cruise. And uh, one of the things the team that Tom Cruise is a part of always attempts and succeeds at or we wouldn't want to watch the movie is breaking inside these near impenetrable sort of high security uh, government controlled areas that are built to be impossible to get into without getting caught. But somehow, somehow the team just manages to do it uh, every time. Somehow... Tom Cruise, that Top Gun guy, you know, he manages to squeak in every time and get that valuable information that he's been hired to get. But David's saying, I need something that's not like that. He's not trying to reference Mission Impossible, but he's saying, I need something I can depend on to be secure for me. And what's interesting is that he goes to dramatic lengths to show us just what kind of refuge and strength God is and why he is both a present and a future help. And I think he goes to this extreme to show us how capable he is because we forget. We just forget how capable God is. Right now, some of you forget. Some of you have things that are coming against you that are so extreme that it's hard for you to even believe that God is somebody that can be a security against them for you because they are hitting against you and they are grieving you to an extent that feels impassable. So what does David do? He, he tells us. He digs in. He says, look, God is near. Even though nature is raging around you, he says, even if the earth comes undone, and the mountains get engulfed by the oceans, and there are cataclysmic disasters. He says that because we fear God, we don't have to fear His wrath if we're His people. We don't have to fear the undoing of His creation or the unsteadiness around us. Psalm 121 reminds us our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And then it's this future earth that he gives us a picture for, the one we're currently living in that God will someday restore that allows us to not live in fear over the current one we're in. If you go to verse 4 and 5, when he talks about a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. One of the great fears 
in ancient cities was that the water supply would be cut off. An enemy nation would come, they would lay siege. One of the first things they would attempt to do is cut off the water supply because without water, all life will start to end, of course. But here we see that something's different for the people that God is near. In the city of God, in the future city, we find unending streams of living water to refresh and to replenish us. We find a place where God in His holiness dwells. We find a future country where God leads us at first light when the morning dawns. Luther said, if we perish, then Christ is going to have to fall too. So God is near us, though nature rages, because nature can't stop the immovable, unchangeable hand and heart of God. And then David points out that God is near us, though the nations rage. All the kingdoms of the world there in verse 6 who seek after power and real estate, they just melt under the voice of the Lord. They fall under the greatness and the power of God. It helps us understand that this world is not a fortress, but that God is a fortress for those in the world that he is with. And as he spoke the world into existence, he can just as easily speak it into oblivion. And you know what's interesting is I just think, and I think of my own life with this, I just think we give things way too much power. Do you know what I mean? We give things so much credit. We overemphasize things to a place that we feel like all of a sudden now they've eclipsed God. That God is now weak before the things that he created, which is all things. And in our sinfulness, we have the tendency to do that. But here it says in verse 8, it says, see how he works. He has brought to desolation those things that were thought of as being powerful. Wars end because he's in control of the means in which they're even fought. The world is like a chessboard in the hands of God. He moves and he controls all the pieces and all the plans of the people. And there are no arbitrary actions. Even when, from our vantage point, it looks like chaos. What we see in verse 10 is that the Lord will still those that stir against him. He will still these powers of these nations that rage against him. He will still them and they will know that he is God. And what he does for us is the same thing in our own lives. He stills us too. You remember in Mark 4 when Jesus was traveling with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and this life-threatening storm broke out and with a word, he just calms it. He stills it. He says, peace, be still. He looked at them and said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith after seeing the works that I have done? Have you still no faith? Then it says the disciples were filled with fear and said, well, who then is this guy, paraphrase, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So David isn't saying, calm yourself. This is not what David's saying. David is not saying, chill out. 
David is not saying take another hot yoga class and get acquainted with God in the process. That's not where he's going with this. He's saying God will still you, brother and sister. God will still you. And when this happens, you will believe God. The disciples being saved from the storm was secondary to them being saved from their unbelief. They had built up the wrong fear. When we fear God, we experience something. Something happens when we have a reverence and an awe and a proper fear of God. We experience His love. And then we find that it's His love that casts out those earthly fears that come buckling against us. David says, Though nature and the nations rage, God will exalt His name and be near those who fear and trust in it. I think there's some implications here. There's three things that I want to get into the text. Number one, our confidence comes from knowing whose side we're on. We see that in verses 1 through 3. Our confidence comes from knowing whose side that we're on. We think that the worst thing that can happen is to have our confidence shaken. But God, He kind of likes to shake it, doesn't He? He wants to reroute our confidence. So we look at ourselves in the mirror, we search our hearts, and we ask, what is the heart of our greatest fear? Is it change? Is the worst thing that can happen to you in nicest people in town, Central America here? Is the, is the worst thing that can happen to you change? Is it the worst thing that can happen to me? A loss of comfort? A loss of control? Is it a way of life that I love so much that I'm afraid of losing? Is it an ideal that I've built up in my mind to a degree that now the thought of not being able to accomplish it or live under it is untenable? Does the news of the world, does it just leave you constantly upset and unsettled? Because there's a lot of that going on right now. And there's been a lot of headlines in the last couple of months of a religious nature, if I can say it that way, that has left the church reeling and searching for answers and needing to stand on the truth that we believe about who God is. Amen? I think what David is saying here is that we don't need to construct silly reinforcements for when change comes. I think one of the problems with living in a place where very little changes is that when change does come, it tends to unravel us. And some of us have the tendency to go into isolation and we start scrambling for backup plans. We start making knee-jerk maneuvers. We don't let ourselves wait we stop going to godly and wise people to get good counsel and encouragement and reminders that God does not send us out of the office replies when we call upon Him. What the psalmist is aiming at here is that God will remain with His people in the midst of trouble. Romans 8 poses the question. It says, what can separate us 
from the love of Christ? Is there anything in creation that has the power to keep us from our Creator? And what we even more clearly see in this passage is Jesus. And that in Him, God provided a true refuge and a true strength and our true help in trouble. Because Jesus descended to the earth and He endured the trouble that we face. And His trouble culminated on the cross. So that in Him, we don't have to fear the world. We can overcome because He overcame the world on the cross. So our confidence comes from knowing whose side we're on. Number two, we have a comfort. Our comfort comes from remembering the city that's being prepared for us. Verses 4 through 7. We remember the truer and the greater city. The truer and the greater kingdom where God will dwell forever. A place where earthly kings and kingdoms will not have any power to have any destructive influence any longer. In Revelation 22, we get this great picture of what this city will look like. It says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Then it goes on to say, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And it gives us this beautiful picture for the difference that we're going to have and live in and be a part of as God restores the earth. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit is that comfort and that living water. He comforts us in our distress. He reminds that God will not be slack in his promise to give us rest. And sometimes we just don't realize we're thirsty until we get a sip of water and then realize how dehydrated we are. Has ever happened to you? You're doing something, you're working hard, you've been sweating, you haven't drank anything, and finally you take that first sip of water and you just start guzzling and guzzling and guzzling. You just didn't realize how thirsty you were because it had been so long since you've taken a sip. It's the same with us spiritually. We're spiritually dehydrated until the Holy Spirit quenches that spiritual thirst. So for us, we need to return to that source. We need to return to the source. We need to return to Jesus. Jesus is the river who makes glad the city of God. Where Jesus is, God is. And we have great comfort knowing that because he rose from the grave. He is preparing a place for his redeemed people to be in the place where God is forever. And you know how this helps us? This helps us when we feel like changes will just claim victory over us. Jesus overcame the world, and though we have trouble in it, the world has no power over the one who is in us as we are in the world. So we have confidence, we have comfort, and thirdly and finally, we have courage. We have courage. The psalm gives us courage. Our courage comes from knowing that God will never be defeated. It comes from knowing that we can be courageously still. When you go back to Matthew, and remember when the angel 
visited Mary. And he says his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's in Jesus, again, that we have someone who is unfailingly with us and is our true fortress against anything that the world can temporarily inflict on us. And remember, Paul says that. He says this infliction, these things, even these cataclysmic things, they're just light and they're momentary for us. They're not forever. We can have courage because they're not forever. Because it's Jesus that God has exalted among the nations and in the earth. And we know that God's work in this world is always redemptive. He's a restorer. He will destroy those things that destroy and then restore. All things will be stilled someday and know that He is God, which is why we can be still today. And it's this revelation that should still us today and give us great courage. Because God doesn't shift in size according to how big we decide to make Him. Let me say that again. God does not shift in size according to how big you decide to make Him. But our perspective becomes skewed like that, doesn't it? Like we forget the size of things. Like when we're a little kid and we visit a place and we come back ten years later and we go, oh, I can't believe how small it is. Well, your perspective was skewed because you lacked maturity to see things as they really were. And so the less we see who God really is, this thing happens where the more and more we start to enlarge ourselves. And then when we enlarge ourselves, we begin to see our problems as larger than Him. You ever have those moments when you think you're in shape? Until someone like Tim Black takes a photo of you? What upsets you, and by you I mean me, is that the picture doesn't lie. As much as you want to believe it's true, a camera can't really add 10 pounds. Thank God. Those 10 pounds are what we would call actual pounds. (laughs) But what it does is it allows us to realize that we've exaggerated our thoughts and our opinions about ourselves. And we do that with God when we stop looking to Him. You know, one of the things I like to do that me and Melissa like to do when we hike is we like to set up a blanket and we like to lay under the trees if we're in kind of one of those areas and just stare up at the sky and the clouds. And there's just something about that when you're in that position and you're, you're under such vastness and you're seeing the expanse It helps us refresh our understanding of just who it is we're talking about when we talk about the God who is our refuge and our strength. And it does something to me. God uses it to settle me and to still me and remind me of my size, of how small I am. It reminds and encourages me that all of these unsettling things, they don't unsettle what God has purposed to happen before the foundation of the world, which was to build a church of which the gates of hell, my job, my future, my tragedies, and my changes will not prevail. It doesn't mean that we don't find ourselves in valleys 
or under persecution. It doesn't mean that we don't weep for justice and have godly sorrow and outrage for things that grieve the heart of God. It doesn't mean that we don't look up to God in confusion and in wonder and cry out to Him. It means that we do. It means we never have to lose hope because in Christ, God has planned a hopeful future for all those who trust in His Son. It's because of Christ that we can have confidence, comfort, and courage. It's because we read in Philippians 2, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I think it's helpful for us to occasionally ask the question, why does God need to be great? Why does He need to be great? And if He really is great, how does that change how I live and breathe? We just, we sing these songs, like how great is our God and how great Thou art. But it seems like what really happens is we try to plan and organize our lives to make sure we never have to see His greatness. And yet we're reminded of God's greatness because when He allows great changes and great fear to have the possibility of entering our lives, it's then that we can know who is greater. Charles Spurgeon said, with God on our side, how irrational is fear? I had a week this week in which I looked into the eyes of many of you this week. And I was able to get a picture of many hearts and to see that some of you are incredibly sad. Some of you are incredibly stubborn. Some of you are incredibly stirring. But you all need to be stilled. And I wonder what kinds of changes God will allow for you to stop fearing change and start fearing Him who is what this passage tells us He is. Who is the God of Jacob. Who made unbroken covenant promises with Abraham that He fulfilled all things in Jesus who is beautiful and unbroken and a refuge for now and forever that we would know and believe that the future's already been faced in Jesus. So will you, will I, stop stirring and be stilled by His grace and comforted by the glad streams of His Spirit today? Will we? Lord, we pray that You would do this work in our hearts. Lord, You've promised us in this passage, You've said that You are a refuge and our strength, and that You help us today. You are a present help 
in times of trouble. And though nature may be against us, though the nations may be against us, you are near your people. And you are preparing a place for your people, a future city where we will be with you and we will see you and we will be known as we have been known. Lord, be our fortress, be our refuge, be our strength, be our confidence and our comfort and our courage. Lord, help us in our unbelief. We all come to a place where doubts overwhelm us inside. Lord, don't let those things be the occasion for us to pull away from your word, to pull away from the community of your people that you've given us. Let us reconsider the things that you have said to us, the words in this book, the promises and the covenants that you have given as a hope and a future to your people so that we know what true security is, so that we don't have to fear what is swirling around us, but we can fear you. And in that awe and in that reverence, we can know the love of God and those fears and those changes that will come upon us as sure as the sun rising will be infused with hope. Lord, we thank you for Christ who is our true refuge, our true hope, and our present help in times of troubles. May we fall down on our knees before Him this day, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.